As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Total Soccer Show and our latest round of listener questions. On today's show, we're proposing a World Cup replacement. We're looking ahead to next summer's Copa America and we're changing the shape of the soccer field. Down with rectangles, we say. My <laughs> name's Ryan Bailey. Joining me today, your friend and mine, wearing a lovely Cosmos t-shirt today, Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Down with the rectangle, up with the octagon. Let's do this thing. Oh, we're going octagon. I, okay, this sounds like it's going to be combative, your uh, choice of field here, Taylor. Look forward to hearing I, that later in the show. I didn't actually go octagon. I went with a different shape, but then in the intro, I struggled to think of another shape because it's already been a long week. Always dodecahedron, Taylor, <laughs> is my <laughs> advice. Joining us on this intrepid journey, Tay-Tay, your friend and mine also, Graham well, Ruffin, who's wearing a navy blue t-shirt. It's not black, as I was told before we recorded. <laughs> I'm not colorblind, okay? <laughs> Well, it seems you may be because you misidentified the color. Hello, Ryan. How how are you? <laughs> I've been put in my place. That's how I am, Graham. I'm fine. Thank you very much. Um, Graham, we haven't spoken since you went to Hampden Uh-oh. Park to see Scotland take Uh-oh. on England. Don't worry. You're still the world champions at booing. It's okay. It's all good. Um, it, Graham, I did really enjoy your Patreon video. It was excellent. Patreon.com slash Total Soccer Show if you want to see our bonus content listener. Uh, if you're not there already, Graham did a very good um, review of his time at Hampden Park, including the fact that you were standing a yard behind someone with bagpipes for the entire game. And I've been close to bagpipes, and they're not a quiet instrument, Graham. Yeah, you get you get used to it in Scotland. I mean, if I were to just walk around the town or the city centre, you're you're never within more than like five yards of someone with bagpipes in Scotland. So yeah, <laughs> it's just that ringing is constantly in my ears. Mm. Graham, is that the equivalent of like a dude in jorts waving a giant American flag yes. with like an eagle attached so, to it? Is that sort of where we are with the bagpipes? <laughs> yeah. So, so if you look very closely on the Patreon video, I'm not sure if if, if uh, subscribers will be able to make it out, but that gentleman is wearing a polo shirt with the Declaration of Our Broth written on the back of it, and the Declaration of Our Broth is essentially like this uh, declaration of war against the English from like the 1600s or something like that. So he was very much on brand. This is uh, like my buddy who has a U.S. shirt with Washington and 76 on the back. I see what we're working with here. Yeah, I, I like that we're united in this way. There we go. <laughs> wow. Wonderful stuff there, Graham. An excellent, <laughs> an excellent Patreon. Such I, enthusiasm. <laughs> I have to say, you mentioned if Scotland are good, it, it sort of messes with your core identity. And mm. I feel like this game also messes with my core identity because as a soccer fan, I always want to intrinsically cheer for the underdog. And there's a case where, obviously, in this kind of situation, England aren't the underdog. I think that's why I struggle with England in many qualifiers and things like this, because I always want to go for the little guys. Yes, because yes, England, historically, very much the little guy. So many <laughs> times in their history do you have the opportunity to yeah, be the it, little guy. It really comes across <laughs> when they remind people that they invented soccer that they are the underdog, intrinsically. I was saying that's the problem, Graham. I like the underdog. It makes me not. It makes me it's feel okay, weird Ryan. about... You can, you can still be the underdog. Uh, underdogs. England are uh, league B teams in the Nations League and yep. you're playing a League A team so you know that, very that, still, good. that still stands 
And apparently Diego Dora, Diego Maradona beat us in a World Cup as the songs your fans were singing uh, indicated. I love that song. Yeah, yeah <laughs> wonderful stuff. Uh, let's move on from that. Listen to questions. We've got plenty of them in this show and you can uh, get us at totalsoccershow.com slash questions if you want to send us one. And once again, patreon.com slash totalsoccershow for our bonus content. Let's get to our first question here from Adam Fominaya. Fominaya, excuse me. Did you all realize that the US has to qualify for the 2024 Copper America? Why does that feel dicey, says Adam? Am I paranoid? This is... Taylor, an interesting fact, the 48th edition of the Copper America, of course, coming up next June. And unlike the Centenario edition in 2016, the US do have to qualify. Now, that does sound dicey in itself, but I also looked at <laughs> yeah. how that would happen. And now I feel like, OK, that's not too bad. Yeah, yeah. I, I think Adam may be a little paranoid to be overly concerned at the same time. Uh, to answer the first part of the question, I did not, did not know nope. that we had qualified despite hosting, and I don't think many people do, because I feel like the way it's discussed is when we're at the Copa America. So, I think the when aspect definitely now makes me uncomfortable. There is a qualifying process, how it will work, as best I understand it, because I think it requires teams to not play uh, all of their opponents. It gets a little confusing. CONCACAF gets six spots at the 2024 Copa America. Four of those six will be the winners of the Nations League quarterfinals. Of those quarterfinals, you have four already confirmed. It's the four top-seeded teams, uh, but they will be based on the October FIFA rankings. Ryan is nodding along, which I really appreciate in case I get something wrong. Sagely, Taylor. Sagely. Thank you, sir. Uh, I don't think there will be a ton of change to those FIFA rankings. Uh, Right now, they are USA, Mexico, Canada, Costa Rica, Mexico, right behind the United States. But you're awarded points for winning games, including friendlies. As I understand it, the U.S. wins both of their friendlies. So I would assume they will keep their spot, at least in CONCACAF. The most likely teams advancing from the group play. So those are the other four teams. Right now, it's Trinidad, Jamaica, Panama, and Cuba. Maybe Guatemala or Honduras. Those will be decided in the October window. The confusing thing is that those are groups of, I believe, six each. And I think everybody only plays three or four teams. So that's where it gets a little unbalanced. But if it is Panama, Cuba, Guatemala, Honduras, the U.S. as the top seed will probably play one of those. And even if it loses that game, as I said, they get six spots. So it's the four winners of the quarterfinals. Then the four losers uh, get drawn. And there are two games there, one versus one, one versus one. And the winners of those two get to go. So it's very likely that the U.S. will end up qualifying. Uh, It's just a matter of getting through the kind of complicated qualification process that has lots of uh, different aspects to it. But in the end, I think the U.S. will be there hosting the tournament. And if they're not, I bet Common Bowl is not thrilled that they've selected the United States. <laughs> well, they'll be thrilled financially, I'm sure. But yeah, you, you're quite right there, Taylor. TLDR, six CONCACAF teams mm-hmm. going into this thing. And there's eight teams in those quarterfinals, of which the U.S. won't face Mexico, Canada, or Costa Rica to basically qualify for this contest. So yeah. the odds are very much in the U.S.'s favor. Graham, how do we feel about 16 teams in the Copper America? And... Uh, that expanded format and the way things are going with these kind of things. Yeah, I, I, I'm not against it. I mean, that might be me speaking as someone who focuses a lot on the USMNT and who generally wants the USMNT to do well. And it feels like the, the, the US being in a Copa America will allow them to test themselves ahead of a home World Cup. And it just feels like a good a good place for the US to be. I wouldn't be too, qualify, uh, too worried about qualifying. I think it would be different if it was the Gold Cup you qualified through because the yeah. US has, has started putting the A team into the Nations League instead. But, but then even if it was the Gold Cup you qualified through, you would assume they'd put the A team into that to qualify rather than the Nations League. So I understand why Adam might be a bit edgy because 2018 is still relatively fresh in the memory. And of course, in a, in a knockout format, there's even greater scope for a shock than in a league table like the Hex or, or the Ocho or whatever it is called these days. I forget mm-hmm. how many teams are in that phase of qualifying now. But as Taylor outlines, there is like two safety nets for the US to stop them from falling through the cracks. So yeah. I very much expect the US to be at the Copa America in 2024. And I am looking forward to that. Indeed, as a migram, it's going to be a good tournament. And just to reiterate, uh, the 2023-24 CONCACAF Nations League, um, I completely understand the format and who qualifies where and what yep. happens in it. As long as there's no follow-up questions at all, we'll just leave it there. <laughs> if that's good. Excellent. Perfect. Same. That's how we all work. That's how we all work. <laughs> just, trust, they... con- just trust, trust CONCACAF. That yeah. always goes well for everyone mm-hmm. concerned. Indeed. Indeed. 
faith in Gunkagas. Adam, <laughs> thank you very much indeed for that question. We've got another international-related question here from John Huffstetler. John says, would the World Cup be better as a world league? Why? Why not, asks John. I think my, my initial uh, reaction to this was, maybe... Because instead, look, there's, there's benefits and there's drawbacks, obviously. Instead of qualifiers and friendlies, you run a, a season-long league for the international teams. And there's there's interest and there's competitive games throughout the year. I kind of like that. Potentially more games for lower-ranked nations, in theory, when they're not knocked out of a contest. But also, ultimately, it would be a lot less dramatic. And it yeah. would definitely be held in Saudi Arabia every single year. And also <laughs> sounds a lot like qualification, which you hate. So I'm a bit... <laughs> I'm a bit fuzzy on that on that sure. logic. Yeah, I, uh, I I am a hard no on this one. I, I I don't want to replace the World Cup with the World League because I think the the knockout format is is a big part of what makes the World Cup special. So in a in a World Cup, there are just there are so many little triumphs. It's not just about the team that ends up lifting the trophy. And I think in a league format, you probably get less of those little moments than you do in a knockout format. Also, a league format means loads more fixtures, and, and so you wouldn't be able to first fit them all into the schedule. But also, one of the best things about major tournaments is having a country host them and how their culture comes across. And I love learning about new places through World Cups and cities that I knew nothing about. Not that I've ever been to a World Cup, but even as a passive fan on TV, I love that aspect of, of World Cups. So I don't see how a single country or even a region could host a, a World League. Where, where I would be in favour of a, of a World League is through the Nations League. So I recognise that the the logistics might stop this from ever happening. But in, in principle, the idea of having, and this is similar to what you were kind of referencing there, Ryan, Ryan having a league that has countries regularly playing other countries from different federations in a competitive setting, I like that idea. And you would also eliminate this discussion that frequently happens about CONCACAF teams not getting to test themselves against European teams or calling the ball teams, not playing European teams. So I appreciate I might have just hijacked John's question to come up with a different concept of my own, but I, uh, I'm i not in favour of replacing the World Cup, but in favour of having a World League in place of the Nations League. Let's have both. Okay, I kind of like that. Taylor? Yeah, uh, I'm glad Graham went first because I had a whole <laughs> long argument for why I felt like you could do a sort of league structure and then in the summer you have the big world cup playoff which is effectively just qualifying i realized i now just created qualifying and yeah no we don't need that the only other uh, positive i could see would just be that you have less of a risk of players missing a world cup due to injury so if you did stretch it out and you had let's say the group stage uh, you have like multiple group stages over the course of a season and then you have the knockout round in the summer then somebody who picks up an injury uh, for like the month that the World Cup is happening isn't as likely to miss the entire thing. At the very least, they get to experience some of that process, which I think would be a positive just to get everybody more involved. But at the same time, I do love the drama. I do love the fixture congestion and just getting to kind of plug in and watch a bunch of teams play and how the narratives build and how you get the more f familiarity with the team in those sort of close quarters. I think all those things that we love about the World Cup would be removed I think you might end up getting a better quality of competition because there's more time to prepare and rest players and, and just fewer things happening in short order. But that does also create some of the drama and chaos that we love. So even if the product on the pitch is slightly worse at a World Cup, I still think it's better for the drama and the atmosphere and the overall viewing experience. I also think, Taylor, if there was a World League, FIFA would find a way to make it bad. I mean, you said it. It would be in Saudi Arabia to start. Uh, and yes, I think there would also be a lot more issues. We're really we're really kind of keep coming back to that when Graham is like, just trust in CONCACAF is pretty much the Jack Warner slogan, I think, for a, about a decade. And we know how that went. Yeah, there's a lot of maybe faith required to trust in FIFA changing the structure of competitions. And I'm not sure many people have yeah. that faith. Jack Warner, like the snake in the jungle book. Trust in me. <laughs> Wonderful. Give me $2 million to build a facility and I'll mow some grass. Yes, yes, that is Jack Warner. Yes. I'd love to see Jack Warner actually mow some grass, by the way. That would be great. <laughs> Good point. Good In a point. suit. Very fun, indeed. All right, uh, John, thank you very much for that one. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're talking MLS. We're talking Theo Walcott and much more. Back shortly. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to our listener questions. We go now to Sean Lopez. Hello, Sean. Inter Miami's dramatic success is partly due to them signing three world-class players who've played together for years. Can you think of another threesome that could have come to MLS and had a similar impact? I'm thinking players in their 30s who've played together for a while in their European club. Taylor, yeah. I'm hive-minding. Did you also come up with Kroos, Modric, and Benzema? Yes, did I did. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir, I did. Uh, I would also add, uh, Sean, I love this question. I'm going to say you can remove the partly from this question. Uh, it is due to them signing three world-class players who played together for years. And I think that is the combination that I was looking for. It's, it's a three-parter. It's individual skill level. It's individual familiarity. But then it's also philosophical familiarity is how I can put it. Because so much of what I've heard in the coverage of Inter-Miami is not just that these three are doing everything, it's that they're influencing their teammates and how to play and how to move and how not to move and how not to occupy space so that you can occupy it later. And I think so much of what these players learned at Barcelona is being transmitted or or via osmosis or whatever to Inter-Miami. And so I think when you're looking at a trio that has that familiarity but could bring some of that veteran philosophy and how to play to a team, I did have Benzema... Modric and uh, Cruz, but we could also go Casemiro, Casemiro, Cruz, and Modric. I think yeah. it would do the same thing, and I think that works because Messi did leave that three that threesome to go play for PSG. So you can have one of the three depart and then come back in this scenario. In my mind, do you, uh, do you just to jump in there, Taylor? Do you sell tickets with Modric, Cruz, and Casemiro? Like, come and see the amazing functional midfield unit. I don't know if like <laughs> Inter Inter Miami are shifting. Do you not need like it, an attacking star? It probably to make needs it work? Benzema, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, I think Modric gets. Like, Modric is, like, the the hipster soccer pick. Like, I feel like if you were designing an ideal five-a-side and you asked any number of people, Modric is probably getting thrown in there. And I feel like Modric in Miami would go well. So maybe he could get some of that attention. But I doubt he would have people flocking to the Publix to watch him grocery shop. <laughs> Benzema well, might. So that's well, that's well put. What about if you did a Ramos, Modric, and Benzema? So you almost had a spine as well. Because we've, like we've kind of got a spine within to Miami, haven't we? In in sorts, in sorts, sort of. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I like the the poop housery that Sergio Ramos would would bring to the mm. equation. We need that in MLS. Like Rafa Marquez was the last player on that on that level, and no, he was really really popular in MLS. But I feel Loved like him. Sergio Ramos would uh, shift some more tickets than Rafa Marquez. I did have two other possibilities. I had uh, Kimmich, Muller, and Lewandowski mm. uh, from the from the Bayern mold. I feel like that could do a lot and it still gives you that spine of sorts and then maybe this one i'm less confident in but would rodri kevin de bruyne and gundawan do a similar thing i mean that's the midfield lockdown basically but i also feel like you get a lot of how old like, is rodri he's he's got i guess he's yeah. not that old not yeah. as old as the other two is he yeah so the, like de bruyne and gundawan are in the third oh 27 he's actually a bit older yeah. than i thought he was yeah. it's just it's 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 strange because there are so many like pay, like like trios that would work really well and I think would be really successful to the point of Sean's question though you start to look at teams that have had a ton of success like Liverpool for example I, I, like I, I was trying to find three Liverpool players that could go to the union and really like make them like kick on to that next level but I'm not sure that that would work and I think there's other teams that like even Man City they've had different looks at different points and Pep has asked different things of different players in different seasons I struggle to think of like an overarching philosophy aside from try not to get yelled at by Pep as much as you can. And I think there are a number of clubs that are like that where they don't really have that clear cut of an identity. And so it gets harder to find a like veteran threesome to move that would then bring some of that confidence in that veteran swagger, but that veteran know-how with them. So I looked at basically Bayern and Real Madrid if we're not looking at Barcelona. Hmm. Graham, where did you come with this one? So I went to the dream trio, first of all, of course, which is Eric Dyer, Deli Ali, and Oliver Skip. That's the, the <laughs> next was, big three. I was seriously thinking, like, what Tottenham on could we do? We Kane, Son, and, like, Harry Winks? I don't know who the yeah. third person would be. There's, there's got to be, like, Harry Winks, Oliver Skip. Like, Spurs produce Eric Dyer. They produce, like, a certain type of midfielder that... Uh, 
yeah, I'm not too sure they would prove too. I mean, Ericsson would work, right? If you did Son Ericsson and Kane, how how would that be? Yeah, but Ericsson's actually good, Ryan. That kind of ruins the bet I was trying to. <laughs> But yeah, my, my mind, to, to be serious uh, about it, my mind went straight away to, and I'm kind of surprised that Inter-Miami didn't, didn't try to make this happen, or maybe they did try to make it happen, but they've already got Messi, and Messi was part of, in my opinion, the greatest front three of all time with Luis Suarez and Neymar. Mm-hmm. Luis Suarez was linked with Inter-Miami. I think he's like out of contract or something, or he was out of contract, or he's got an injury that allowed him to leave the club that he's at in South America. And Neymar was obviously available this summer. So I, I would presume Neymar is costing a lot more money to, uh, who did he sign for? He signed for Al Ali, right, in, in Saudi Arabia. I'm presuming they're paying him a lot mon- more money than Inter-Miami are paying Sergio Busquets. But I'm kind of surprised that Inter-Miami didn't try to reunite that 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 front three. I also thought of the, the, the kind of great Liverpool front three of Firmino, Mane and Salah. Of course, two of them already in Saudi Arabia. Salah potentially joining them soon. I'm kind of surprised that Saudi Arabia, the Saudi Pro League, hasn't tried to put those three in the same club. And in fact, um, Firmino and Mane are uh, I play for different teams and Salah's wanted by Al Etihad. Um, so that's a little bit disappointing. I would have liked to have seen those three play together again. But yeah, I also settled on a, on a Modric, Crows, Benzema. I had Lewandowski, Crows, and I was struggling for a third one. I settled on Sergio Roberto, which maybe isn't so sexy, but I was trying to think of players that MLS could realistically maybe lure with a, a, a contract offer. Okay. I guess it depends how far back you can go as well, because could you do like the, the Real Madrid BBC, Bale, Benzema and Cristiano, or like, I don't know, Ian Wright, Dennis Bergkamp and, and, and someone else. Like, it depends how historic you want to get with this question, right? I, th- I think you're verging into like, not even retirement league uh, cliches there, Ryan, but like legends, masters football or something there. <laughs> if we're bringing Dennis Bergkamp back. I love Dennis Bergkamp, great player, but I think he's maybe beyond playing 90 minutes in an MLS match. His son plays. Maybe that's the next move. Natural move there. We shall see. There we uh, go. Oh, maybe that's what MLS should do. Should like reunite all the all the sons of great players. I'm sure that'll earn them reputation as one of the best leagues in the world. Yeah, I want to see Callum Best in MLS. That's what I want to see, Graham. <laughs> Wonderful stuff there. All right, Sean. Thank you very much for that one. We go now to Robert Cordova, who says, "How does the Total Soccer Show view the career of Theo Walcott now he has retired?" This is kind of a similar question to the one we had about Cesc Fabregas last week, I believe. So Walcott obviously came through the youth ranks at Southampton, twelve and a half seasons at Arsenal. His best years, most likely there. Made the 2006 World Cup squad at just age 17. Didn't play in that one, though, even though I think Peter Crouch was the only other striker or forward they had in the squad at that time. Uh, He retired this August after 363 club appearances and 47 England caps. Didn't make that 50. So close, so close. Uh, Taylor... Theo Walcott, we look upon him pretty positively, I think. Seems like a, a lovely chap as well. But I only think of the 2-0 the hand gesture coming off on the stretcher in the North London derby. That's his defining memory for me for some reason. Yeah, and that honestly is why I really love these questions. Robert uh, often asks questions like this about specific players. You alluded to the Fabregas one earlier, but he's asked about a bunch of different players uh, over the years. And I like this because I think so often I have an understanding of who the player is or who I think the player is. And then you do some reading about them, especially if they've already retired, you get some good career retrospectives. There's a really nice one that informs my answer from Nick Ames for The Guardian. Uh, And I think I had this idea of Walcott as like a very good player who had a lot of hype, but then played for Arsenal when they weren't very good, played for England when they had like Capello and didn't have much of an identity. And so he doesn't really achieve the potential. He doesn't really achieve the hype. And he's another sort of potential England super duper star that doesn't quite get there. And I think that is to some extent the the case. But I think when you look further at his career, that uh, profile I mentioned uh, had this line that I thought was really excellent. Walcott had superstardom fitted out for him in advance, and it meant any other outcome would seem, in some eyes, tantamount to failure. And I think that is kind of the story of his career, that he breaks through at such a young age, he goes to the World Cup at such a young age, he has such speed, but then also has the vision and, I would say, the talent to back up that speed. So it's not just running in a straight line, but it's then making things happen. It's playing almost 400 times for Arsenal under Arsene Wenger, scoring over 100 goals in that time, winning them the FA Cup. And there's a lot of success, there's a lot of like brilliant moments, but there is still that feeling of what could have been if Arsenal had been in a different spot. Would he have been the new Thierry Henry? He takes the number 14 shirt when Henry leaves Arsenal. There's this idea that he is going to be their next talismanic striker who does even bigger and better things and that doesn't quite happen 
And so in the end, I think he's perceived as never quite achieving what he should have achieved. And I think the should is the interesting part there because so much of that is what we think he should have achieved versus what was realistic in his career. Yeah. Graham, your thoughts on that? I'm looking at the England years as well. 2006, as I mentioned, when he got that World Cup uh, call up as a teenager and he ret- uh, his last uh, England game was in 2016. So he, he basically played in the England were quite rubbish era that decade. The banner years. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I I broadly agree with with Taylor. Um, I I don't think Sven Goran Eriksson calling him up to that tw- 2006 World Cup does him any favors yeah. because he he doesn't he doesn't play at that World Cup at all, right? No. And from that moment, that supercharges the hype around him. I don't think he'd played in the Premier League at that point. He joins Arsenal. I think maybe Arsenal had a deal to sign him that went through the month after the the, the World Cup in 2006. Yep. So he hadn't even played in the top division at England at that point. And from that moment on, the expectations that are placed against him are frankly unrealistic. I'm glad Taylor also mentioned the comparison with Thierry Henry, um, which was also realistic. Like, go on, son, just, you know, become yeah. just as good as the greatest player in our club's history. Like, no bother at all. He did have a good career, but he obviously injuries were a, were a factor in um, him not being at the top level for very long is one of the things I think about with Theo Walcott is when were really his peak years, I would say like from 2010 to maybe 2015, which isn't really a long time at all. And he's he's retired now at the age of 34. And if we're being harsh and maybe honest, he's he's kind of been irrelevant at the top level for like eight years or something, or mm-hmm. at least six years. So he, his career was 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 pretty short and um, a good career, but not a great career is how I view him. Yep, agreed. Uh, also love that you mentioned like injuries being a factor in our understanding of his career. And Ryan's introduction being that his memory of him is being carted yeah, off exactly. on a stretcher. <laughs> that feels pretty pretty dead on. And Graham, to your point about like he gets called into that uh, 2006 World Cup squad but then doesn't play, that is, a, in my mind, like an almost perfect encapsulation of he's called in because he's good. The hype is, is therefore massive, and he doesn't play, which isn't necessarily his fault. It's not like he did things in training or got one minute and just looked bad. But there's then an immediate like, oh, you called in this kid and he didn't even do anything. Why bring him in? And right there, expectations are established. And then even though he doesn't do anything, and I don't mean that in a negative way, he's just not involved. But there's an immediate stick with which to beat him that like, oh, well, you made the team and now you're not even going to play. Like, what were you even doing there, kid? You're not that good. And you can get that immediate reaction that I think colors the perspective of, of how good he was. And, and keep in mind that to the, the 2006 World Cup is just one major tournament after Wayne Rooney as a 17 or 18 year old has yeah. been one of the best players in that tournament for England. And even going a little bit further back to the 1998 World Cup, when an 18 year old Michael Owen scores that amazing goal against Argentina. So the benchmark for him was just so high going into that tournament. And as you say, Taylor doesn't play. And it feels like that kind of informs the, the rest of his uh, his his career i do have to say so walcott has has moved into a bit of punditry now and i think he's been really really good in the bits that i have seen of him he's a very articulate person i think he's far enough removed from the game now that he feels he can give an honest opinion because sometimes players who have just retired feel that they can't criticize their mates or anything like that but he, he he's not really been part of the game at the top level for a while now so you you do get some candid opinions from him you get some good insight from him so I, I want to see more from him as a pundit, but as a player, I, I still find it difficult to categorize exactly how good he was or how could he how, how good he could have been. Yeah, I think that what could have been is, is quite important here. And after that 2006 World Cup, he goes into the 21s, the under 21s as well. So he got that sort of psychological knockdown there and didn't make the 2010 England World Cup either, uh, World Cup squad either, despite playing in, in the build-up in the qualifiers. Uh, there's an article on ESPN, Messi shocked by Walcott's axe. This is after the 2010 World Cup. Lionel Messi said he was shocked by Theo Walcott's exclusion as he believed that Walcott could have made the difference against Germany and Algeria. Praise that, from Caesar. How about that? That headline makes it sound that sound like Theo Walcott was carrying an axe around, which to be fair, I, I would be shocked by that as well. Barcelona are playing Arsenal in the Champions League. Theo Walcott has got his Louis Vuitton wash bag under one arm and an axe in another. Like that would that would shock me as well. Oh, actually, I, I, I cut off the whole title. It's Messi shot by Walcott's axe body spray. Sorry. Was, uh, the whole thing was missing. <laughs> also <there>. shocking. <laughs> Equally so. Uh, Graham, a fun fact for you. Did you know that Theo Walcott has never been in a Harry Potter movie? <laughs> 
I mean, uh, I might have guessed that one. Where are you going with this? Uh, did you know that his uncle directed four Harry Potter movies? Oh, no, I didn't know that. Who's his uncle? Christopher Columbus? <laughs> no, David Yates, who did four of them. Chris Columbus, I think only did one or two of them. Um, but he did some Fantastic Beast movies. He did four Harry Potter movies. Uh, apparently, oh, okay. never got All a right, We're talking about Fantastic Be- Beasts, or are we talking about the actual Harry Potter franchise? Actual Harry Potter. Okay. Legit Harry Potter franchise. Who is this I learned person? this. What? I- David Yates. I, I, I know this That's because a matter of days ago, I went on the Harry Potter tour at the Warner Brothers lot, and <laughs> I learned this fact. That's that's. I was learning about soccer, even even while I'm not doing soccer if, things. If you told me that a person, I don't even care about the the uh, the connection to Theo Walcott. If you told me that a person named David Yates had directed a Harry <laughs> Potter movie, I'd be like, well, that's a lie. It's like Christopher Columbus, Alfonso Cuarón. There's nobody in there named David Yates. Nice try. He, well, he, he directed a couple of good ones as well. The two last ones are yeah. good. Deathly Hallows. Yeah. There you go. There you go. Runs in the family. That uh, success and uh, being underrated, perhaps, uh, we shall say. Also, uh, Theo Walcott met his wife as a teenager in Southampton, just like I did. Same year. Same year as well. Fun fact for you there. Does does the Harry Potter franchise own David Yates? Why does he only do Harry Potter movies? I'm very confused now. This is confusing because also, like, Alfonso Cuarón and Chris Columbus, they've all done loads of other stuff. You look at his filmography, he's done that and, like, did they not let you do anything else? Like, Pain Hustlers, a 2023 American crime drama. Yeah. That's his next one. He was uh, born in a Petri dish on the Warner Brothers lot, I think, <laughs> is how we can... Uh... He, he is just AI. <laughs> That's it. There we go. I see now. Wonderful stuff. We veered off into Harry Potter, so let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about Kepa. We're going to be talking about the shape of soccer fields and much more. Back shortly. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show, reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, it's going to be a chaotic situation, there's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly, there's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there, there's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain, there are many things to deal with, and unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, it gets the business done efficiently and effectively, but for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Total Soccer Show, welcome back to Listener Questions. Zach Lippert's been in touch. Zach says, while listening to a recent weekend review, I was shocked to hear Kepa was at Madrid. How did he end up there after years failing to establish himself as a reliable keeper? 
at Chelsea. Yes, indeed. Kepa is on a loan at Madrid after Courtois, Thibaut Courtois. Um, it was ACL, wasn't it? That he did. He's, yeah. he's got the injury keeping him out for most the of the week season. before the season started yeah. as well. He picks so, up an ACL and that is essentially how I think Kepa shot. He's at Real Madrid as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The the, uh, the emergency call came in and Kepa picked up, basically. He's very much still on Chelsea's books. I was reading reports from just today that um, Chelsea are willing to sell him to Real Madrid for £55 million, less than they paid. They paid €80 million Euros for him in 2018. I believe, Graham, that Chelsea is still paying his 150000 a week salary as well, or at least a proportion of it. Taylor's shaking his head. He's got more information on this. No? Yeah? No? So, uh, yeah, I did some reading on this one because this has become my favourite episode. Didn't know that we have to qualify for the Copa America. Didn't know that a person named David Yates exists. And kind of <laughs> forgot that Thibaut Courtois plays at Real Madrid. And it's a really interesting story because there are two things I did not know about this. The first one is that they were in for him before. Uh, they wanted him in January 2018. They almost signed Kepa uh, by all accounts. Zinedine Zidane nixes that deal. Uh, then in the summer cool. of 2018, he walks away. Uh, Madrid goes for Courtois instead, and that's when Chelsea bring in Kepa. But Madrid scouts continued to keep an eye on him. And it seems like from what I saw, the reporting was very like, what might have been? We wouldn't have let these bad things happen to you, Kepa. All the criticism of his time at Chelsea, I think there was a feeling that had he been at Madrid, he would have been developed differently and better. Uh, that's the Madrid perspective. And so there have been tabs kept on him throughout this time. It also feels like a lesson they learned was maybe giving a manager too much control of transfers is not a thing they want to do again. Uh, and so this time around, when Courtois is hurt, they go in for Kepa. The, thing, the second thing I didn't know is that he was basically already uh, on his way to Bayern when this move happens. Uh, Chelsea had signed Robert Sanchez in the summer, so that gave them even more of a surplus. Bayern wanted to bring him in. They offered to bring him in on a permanent deal, uh, but Chelsea weren't inclined to let that happen. But Thomas Tuchel had worked with him at Chelsea, really liked him, wanted to bring him to Bayern. He was, like I said, like pretty much agreed to move there. But Madrid get in touch with him, and the idea of going back to Spain very much appeals at the same time they're talking to Chelsea. And Chelsea said, basically, if you like meet the terms that we asked of Bayern, then we'll leave it to the player. The terms were that you cover 100% of his wages, and I believe also maybe a loan fee on top of a million uh, euros to make it just a little bit of a kicker. Uh, and so that is how they're able to... Uh, pull him away from Bayern. To Kepa's credit, again, from the reporting I saw, he calls Tuchel and, and is very appreciative of the pursuit, appreciative of the interest and the support, but just says, I wanted to go back to Spain. It helps my career. It puts me in a better position. Uh, and and so I think he handled that about as well as he could have and ends up getting the move that he wanted uh, in 2018. And ends up getting a, a fight handshake from Thomas Tuchel, Antonio Conte <laughs> yes, style yes. as that phone call ends. <laughs> of course, of course. Yes. <laughs> the 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 confusing thing about this for me remains that they didn't go for David De Gea. Uh, so yeah. I did a little bit of reading on that, and it sounds like he wanted a very high wage, which they would have uh, covered, but then also a lengthier contract. And I think this is meant to be a short-term thing until Courtois comes back. I saw a video of Courtois training yesterday, and he looks... Very good already, despite uh, not being expected back until like March yeah. at the earliest. The, the other thing that we should mention is, obviously, for us as people who largely focus on the Premier League, Kepa's a, a little bit of a figure of fun, but he has, he has seen differently in Spain. He's obviously a very different sort of goalkeeper to, to Thibaut Courtois. And in that sense, I am a bit surprised that Real Madrid didn't go for David De Gea, whose profile is closer to Courtois in that he just makes saves and does nothing else. And increasingly recently, David De Gea doesn't make so many saves. So that maybe explains why they didn't go for him. But as I say, he has a different rep reputation in Spain than he does in England. That's not to say that people in Spain haven't also seen the blunders he made for Chelsea. But I think it's fair to say that his ability on the ball is valued more he's got a good number of caps for Spain I think he's got 13 or 14 senior team caps he was very good for Athletic Club before going to, to Chelsea so it's not as weird as Taylor mentions they, there's a long-standing interest in him so it's not as weird as maybe it seems uh, initially and there will be some Kepa moments for Real Madrid this season there's already been one uh, Hitafi scored from across he flapped at and I think that was his debut for Real Madrid yeah. but he might make them uh, a better team in possession. And while Real Madrid clearly are are, are, are still on the Thibaut Courtois uh, train, I've, and I very much expect him to come back as the number one when he's fit again, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that Kepa stays at Real Madrid b beyond his loan deal in, a, in some sort of permanent transfer. As num Not as number one though, right? 
No, not not as number one, but I think Real Madrid have done this thing a few times where they will rotate goalkeepers. I mean, they did it with Keylor Navas for a long time. They did it with um, who were the, who were the other uh, goalkeepers? Lopez, uh, Casillas as well. Like around that time, they were rotating goalkeepers. So I don't think it's out of the question that Kepa um, could be handed a permanent contract. He gets Copa games, he gets some Champions League games, and that sort of thing sticks. All right, Taylor. Do we think there's a path back? a redemptive path for Kepa in terms of this reputation he has and as Zach says, failing to establish himself as a reliable keeper. It could take a good season with Madrid with, you know, a Madrid 10 in front of him, which would really help things out for him. And he's back on the horse and we don't have that stigma. He doesn't have that stigma. over Theoretically, him. but it then gets confusing because like if they make him permanent, they bring back Courtois. So he's likely the deputy there. At the very least, it's another sort of, uh, positional contest at Bayern. It feels like Neuer will come back and they've already had to make moves because he doesn't end up there. So that doesn't feel like a thing that's going to happen, which means he goes back to Chelsea. And as long as Sanchez doesn't, I don't know, throw the ball into his own net, he seems like the goalkeeper they want. Will. I will say He'll he will. He will. That'll, that's how it will end. <laughs> there we go. I will say Pochettino does seem to be an, an admirer of his and is part of the reason why I think they Chelsea were only interested in loans as opposed to permanent transfers. Maybe that's just spin. So maybe it is have a really good success, uh, really good time in this year at Madrid, establish yourself, get reps, prove that you can be reliable. And then he comes back next year. And there is just a, a, a full on competition for the goalkeeper spot at Chelsea. Do you remember that cup final when Maurizio Sarri tried to substitute Kepa yeah. yes. and, he, and he wasn't having any of it? Yeah, I want to see how that goes down when someone has to tell him he has to go back to Chelsea. <laughs> I can't see that. Uh, I can't see him accepting that I, very well. I'm picturing uh, the alternate timeline where he played for Zidane at Real Madrid and he tried to pull that on Zidane. Can you imagine that? I don't think it would happen. I don't think he would have done that to uh, Zinedine. Definitely not. Goodness me. Okay, so uh, an 80 million euro goalkeeper. Does, does, does he deserve to have the reputation he does? Certainly in for us who predominantly focus, Graham, on the Premier League. Do we think there is a good reason he's in nets for Real Madrid right now? Surely. I think he's got ability, Kepa, if that if that's what you're asking. Also, an eighty million pound Chelsea goalkeeper is like <laughs> the important caveat there. Like for a normal club. Yeah, pre bowling as well. Yeah. For a normal club, that's that's like a squad. That's a squad player, a depth option. Yeah. Um so yeah, I, I wouldn't write off Kepa just yet. Um obviously there are flaws to his game. But honestly, as someone who covers, or used to cover certainly, a lot of Spanish football, the moments that in English football and in the Premier League get a lot of attention tend to just fly under the radar a bit more. Like mm -hmm. that moment where he flaps across and Hitafi score, there'd be discussion for a week about that in the English media. And in Spain, there's just not really the same focus. They kind of focus a bit more on what a goalkeeper does in, on the ball. So I think it's probably a better environment for him. Mm. They're just focusing more on how terrible their logo is at the moment, I imagine, Graham. So priorities for La Liga. I I mean, at the risk of making it mildly awkward, like, is that not that he's he's not English? Like, to me, that's kind of the thing is like if Joe Hart or Jordan Pickford flaps it across like that, maybe it's a talking point, but it doesn't feel like it's the look at this shambolic player who Chelsea spent so, so much money on. I feel like there is maybe a little bit of kid gloves at times that continental players and certainly South American players don't get. Uh, I guess we'll have to wait and see if Andre Onana like does actually kick one into his own goal, what the coverage <laughs> is then to really solidify this theory. Yeah, but conversely, Taylor, Kepa isn't Spanish. He's Basque. There's a difference when you're in Madrid. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh boy. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <Indeed>. Yes. <laughs> Zach, thank you very much for that question. We've got one more here from John Martin. It's a doozy. If you could design a soccer field in any shape other than a rectangle... What shape would it be and why? Um, Graham, I have been thinking long and hard about this question. I've got two <laughs> correct answers. My first one is that I'll keep the rectangle, but I would bow it in the middle like a skate ramp, like a U-shape. <laughs> so there's a valley in the middle of the field. There's a reason why castles are built on hills. You want to keep your defense, you keep your goals at the top. Literally an uphill battle for the uh, for the opponents to score <laughs> Ryan, in my U-shaped field. Could you uh, could you extend that even more? Could you make it like an hourglass? And it really is you funnel through the middle, and then once you get into the like defend defensive zones, then you can mm -hmm. break out. But in that middle, it's going to be a, a contest. Very challenging for wingers. The hourglass <laughs> shape field, I would say, yeah, definitely. <laughs> 
I like that. But how, how do we feel? How do we feel, Taylor, about the U-shaped field? It's it's the correct answer, right? It feels like an X Games challenge or something. Yeah. I kind of want to see it. I'm not saying it's like, going to be drastic. Like not 90 degrees. It's not going to be like a wall on either side, but like a a gentle uh, camber, oh, a bow. Oh in the no. Middle. Oh no, I'm going the other way. I think it's like golf style. Like there's a water hazard there. It's a U shape, and then you fill in with water, so you can play the ball over the water. But then the players have to run around the little narrow strips. So like, if you have two guys in there, it's almost a training drill. If you have like your two forwards in there, you can lump it into one of them, but they've got to hold it up until the players run through the little tiny isthmus to get there. Uh, that's that's what I think we're working with here. Excellent, excellent. We'll, I'm not we'll... sure if I use isthmus correctly, but I think I might have. I was too scared to ask, uh, Graham. Um... <laughs> Would we use grass on this scenario? What do we think? Would it be uh, like I? I would like the material, the flooring they have at bowling alleys oh, to be yeah. the yeah. I mean, nobody is standing up straight in this scenario. And Everyone's... bowling shoes? Why not? Why not? <laughs> bowling shoes? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure this will work perfectly fine, and yeah, we'll get a functional game out of out of this. Fourth official on the side of the field has to watch them change from sneakers into bowling shoes and look at their bottom <laughs> of them as they go onto the field. There we go. We've got this one, uh, Graham. Any other ideas for shapes? Um, I feel like a circle <laughs> could be out of context. That's a phenomenal. <laughs> qu- just such, such a deep question. Graham, any ideas for shapes? Come up with new shapes, Graham. Let's have it happen. I'm not sure. I'm not asking you to reinvent any- the wheel or anything, Taylor. Hey, 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 hey. A circle would be pure chaos, right? I mean, it's similar yes. to the, to the hourglass. So you'd have you'd have wingers with with bowed legs going round and round like speed skaters. So I mm. think that gets my vote for the. The chaos factor. I don't think a triangle would work because there's three points. I presume you would put one goal at two of the three points and that then obviously leaves like a dead end at the spare point. So I'm not really sure anyone would ever go up that point of the triangle. Um, But yeah, maybe an octagon would work because if you look at an octagon, it's a square with the corners chopped off. So you'd maybe in theory have the wide players closer to goal, but then that would make things very congested. I've just de- congested. I've decided I like the rectangle. Can we keep the rectangle, please? Well, yeah. it, it keeps Melbourne Rectangular Stadium in business. That's for <laughs> sure, Graham. <laughs> That's the They're not going to have to rebrand that. No. <laughs> um, me trying desperately to remember uh, high school geometry ha- has me realizing that my answer doesn't work because I said a square and then I wanted to add two more goals to make it four goals and now you can attack uh, two ends. So I realized I believe... All squares are rectangles, but not all rectangles are squares. So technically, I have not answered the question, because if we're moving it other than a rectangle, I think a square is still technically a rectangle. So I'll go with octagon instead. I'll just, as Graham said, you cut the ends off of the uh, the square. Now we've got the exact same idea, because I'm adding two more goals, and now you can attack uh, one goal or the other, so you have to defend two at the same time. Are your goals you're defending uh, next to one another or opposite one another? I, th- I Dude, I thought a lot about that question. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. And I think the answer is you want them next to each other because that does give you a little bit more control. You're basically then just defending a half, which is still more kind of standardized. But on opposite ends... I, it like it creates so much chaos, and and I think you also end up just getting slammed into corners. Not that an octagon with four goals wouldn't create chaos automatically. <laughs> so, so I think I think uh, you have two goals basically uh, on the same side of each other. If that makes okay. sense, and, and a, a goalkeeper in each goal, so yep. the team has two goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. No, no, rush. Rush. no, no, no goalkeeper. No big deal. No big deal. Now oh, I understand yeah. what Real Madrid are doing with Kepa and Courtois. <laughs> they're they're th- they're playing four D chess. I, actually, go. Graham, since that wasn't part of the question, and I've already changed it a little bit. No, you can have one goalie, but you can only score from within a certain zone. So the keeper just has to be on their horse. <laughs> Wow, I, that new Bernabeu probably has a, like an octagon setting, doesn't it? Surely, I'm it's sure. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see Under that. Under the pitch, yeah. I say the other the other shape I'm going to say is the correct answer is the L shape or the right angle, if you will, where you can't see either goal from one to the other. So basically, you have to turn in a different direction to score. The sight lines aren't great for the fans in this scenario. I'll give you that. But Brian, were you playing golf while you answered this question? Because I feel like you're just giving us golf shapes. I guess I am. Yeah. <laughs> like, like the the narrowness, then then the dog left, or like the hard the hard left. I, I like I like how we're going with this one, though. I'm into it. Yeah. I like I like yeah. the L shape. The the stadium setup would be difficult in an L shape, unless we're just playing every game at Yankee Stadium, which you know I guess NYCFC would be happy about. Yeah, the L shape would work well there. There you go. I just like the idea of the, it makes the halves really different for each side because one half you're turning left, the next half you're turning right. I think it's kind of cool. It's like like a yeah, ambi NASCAR track. Zoolander would be screwed. Exactly. Same, same question as before. Can you play from, like, if you have your L, can you play from one side to the other? Can you play it across that gap and the players still have or to... Or is there, like, a wall? Yeah. 
Like, do you have stands there? Can you play it over the stands? That would be fascinating. I haven't thought this far, but I want to say no. I want to say it's a giant wall. Okay. All right. How big is the, how big is the L for it to be feasible for someone to kick the ball over the stand and for it to come down over another stand <laughs> into the other side of the L? <laughs> I'll wait to see what Gianni says when I put the proposal in, Graham. <laughs> then we'll find out, basically. But uh, L shape, I think is my second favorite. The U shape is where I think it's really at. I think it's going to be just because if you complain about how many, how many games, how many minutes professional players have to play at the moment, imagine if they have to run uphill for half the game as well. Wonderful. <laughs> I'm now on board with the, the U shape. There'd be no combination passing play whatsoever. It'd just be players running from one end, right? You have a go then just running back to the other side of the U. Yeah. I'm on board with this one, Ryan. I misunderstood. Ball. I thought you meant like it was like a U on its side. You're saying it's like, do they actually have to run vertically up? Yeah. Like, is it? Oh yeah. Okay. So, it's all, so the, the goals are on hills. The goalkeeper's standing on top of a mountain. Yeah. <laughs> it's an uphill battle, literally. Get to get to the goalkeeper. Imagine how far the goal kicks would go. It looks spectacular i mean it just becomes keeper wars at a certain point they're <laughs> yeah. just gonna kick back and forth across the mountaintop i'm into yeah. this game though i really like this exactly if, if you played a long ball game you could just poke it from one top of the hill to the next Wonderful. The, the the tibet fa and the nepalese fa are both <laughs> on board for the uh, mountaintop versus mountaintop fixture yeah i think i think i think they're in Ta- talking we, we mentioned harry potter earlier in the show this this feels you've basically con- constructed quidditch right and it feels like this is there's there's a similarity there to the u the u-shaped game in quidditch so here's the weird thing i've been on the harry potter studio tour you mentioned that i've been to the orlando theme park i'm confused i've never seen any of the movies so none of it made <laughs> sense to me if i'm honest you had a great time yeah I would have known much more about David Yates had I seen the movies, Graham, is where we can land. Well, I've seen all the movies and I'd never heard of them, so there you go. Okay, there we go. Good stuff. All right, we've gone back to Harry Potter again. I think that's a sign we should probably wrap this thing up. John, thank you very much for yeah, that question. we did that. <laughs> yeah, okay, all right. I, I'm, I'm only loosely holding the reins here, Tato. You know that. Uh, thank you very much for all the questions we've had. TotalSoccerShow.com slash questions if you have some additionals for us. But for now, Taylor Rockwell, thank you very much. Good Thank job. you, my friend. I, good job to you. I love this one. Me too, Graham. Hope you had fun in your navy blue shirt, you <laughs> shirt-wearing Thank you, guy. Ryan Bailey. Thank you, Ryan Bailey, and your grey shirt, you. Indeed. Such such rich uh, visuals for this uh, audio medium. Thank you very much, listener, for joining us on this one. We'll be back on the feed very shortly. But for now, bye! Bye! 